Today's episode of the Strength Talk podcast hosted by UpDoc Media is brought to you by the Arc from Verve. If you want to improve your posture, the Arc has you covered. Developed by a physical therapist, designed by an engineer, made in the USA, the Arc is going to improve your posture and relieve that neck and back pain once and for all. What is up, guys? Welcome to the brand new Strength Doc podcast hosted by UpDoc Media with me, Dr. John Russell. I want to get one thing clear. This is not going to be your average fitness podcast, and I'm sure as hell not your run-of-the-mill strength coach. What's going on, guys? Dr. John Russin back here with the next episode of the Strength Doc Podcast, hosted by UpDoc Media. Today, we're joined by Paul Carter, a prolific strength coach and author who's had notable success at the biggest stage in sports. I had a lot of fun on this conversation, and there are some amazing stories that Paul gets into in his amazing career as a coach, but also as a top-end athlete. This interview is truly uncut, and there is some language that's being used in here that can be a little bit offensive, but hey, that's why it's a Strength Doc podcast, uncut, unfiltered. We're bringing you guys the best information in the fitness industry and giving it to you the way it is. And enjoy the episode. What's going on, guys? I am excited as hell because we have Paul Carter with us today. What's going on, Paul? What's up, buddy? Man, I'm excited to have you on because you're one of the only guys that cuts through the BS in the fitness industry, that speaks his mind and actually gives people actionable content that will make a difference instead of fluffing around. So I really appreciate that from a fellow writer and coach, what you're doing out there. Thanks, man. I, I, I hear that a lot. I don't really, I don't think that's something I, I try to do. It's just, uh, I don't have much of a filter. I'm kind of an idiot. So it just, it, it just comes out that way. But that's the best way. You know, you're not trying to fake it and do something different than who you are. You're actually giving people authenticism. And that's something very rare these days. Yeah. I mean, I try to be transparent in my thoughts, whether, you know, it's like if I'm writing about a social issue or whether we're writing about training or just, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, it's, I'm just trying to give people a piece of myself. And I think that's the best way to resonate with people is, is to be authentic and say, hey, this is what I, I really think and feel. And that can open you up to criticism sometimes. But I mean, I would, you know, it's kind of like the saying is what is, I'd rather be uh, hated for who I really am than love for who I'm not. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you got your start, you're saying, you know, writing on these issues in the fitness industry, some social issues, where did you get your first start, and when was that? Um, actually, that's a. Well, I was going to give you the Shelby Starnes version. <laughs> the Shelby Starnes version. <laughs> this, uh, I knew that question would be coming when I did uh, Shelby's podcast, and I had made up this whole fucking story about when I was a little kid. My dad got out of the service and was. Uh, he went to CIA, and we were. You know, I was like uh, five years old, and we moved to Burma, and was. Uh, posing as Christian missionaries <laughs> and the village got wiped out and this little kid named Haji taught me how to lift weights and that's how it started. Uh, but uh, from the start, I got lifting, started lifting when I was 14. But as far as where, how I got involved in the entire industry was about five or six years ago. And uh, I was, I've told the story a million times, but I'll, I'll try to cut through it. Um, it was around the time Joe Miller was developing 531, and he and I shared a lot of ideas through email. Um, we actually have one email that has over, I think it's like a thousand replies in it, and we never, we never made a new email. Wow! So it's pretty cool, and uh, and in no way, shape, or form did I contribute to 5531 in that way. I'm just saying. Was, <laughs> You're not so, taking claim to 531. Absolutely not taking claim <laughs> to 531. Um, if I had known it had blown up as big as it did, I would have had Jim killed and stole it from him. Though. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I, I would, I actually had, had the blog then and I would write just because I, I really loved writing. I wrote my first novel about a year before that. And I really loved writing and I was writing about a lot of training ideas and stuff. And I would share them with Jim and Jim was like, man, this is awesome. Would you like to, you know, for me to push them up to, you know, through to elite. And I was like, fuck no. And I was scared to death of that. And he eventually convinced me of it. And they, they published it and said, hey, you want to do like a like a you know, couple of series of articles? And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. So, And really, that just, just things just kind of took off from there. 
Yeah, that, that sounds super familiar because I went through the same process a couple of years ago myself. You know, I was writing almost every single day on my own little blog that nobody was reading. Maybe 20 people came to it every week. And then all of a sudden I got this email that really changed my life for, you know, the better of the last two years. TC Luoma hit me up and asked me what I knew about. And I didn't think I knew shit at that point. And, you know, that spiraled into what we're doing today, you know, writing multiple times and really getting some decent content out there for our people. But it's always that one thing and you deliver that first time and everything else seems to be smooth there on out until you start getting the comments, right? <laughs> yeah. That, you know what's funny is I go back and look at my early writings now and I actually cringe because um, – it was really, it was just raw, right? And I, I don't necessarily, I mean, my writing has improved, of course. That's with anything that we do over time. At least I think it has, and people have told me it has. But what I cringe about is that I hadn't learned how to deliver some things what I feel like is with a little bit softer of a flow. It doesn't mean that I'm backing off my opinion on something. It's just like, you know, like you don't have to tell people, like, you believe in this or go suck a dick. You know what I mean? Like, that, <laughs> that's not always the best way to get your point across. Um, and so I, 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 over time, you know, there were people, some people that, <laughs> that like that, and there obviously were people that don't like that, but over time, and I think I, a lot of it has to do with just, you know, the normal process of aging. Uh, and I literally mean getting old, uh, that, you know, you tend to say, you know, if I want to resonate with a bigger audience or I want to resonate with more people, and I really do have a desire to get my, my information out there, then I, I, you know, I can't tell people, you know, read my stuff or suck a dick. I mean, that, that. You know, a lot of people will be like, well, um, I guess I'll go suck a dick. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's so true, though. That's so true because it's that fine line between getting your information out there and also having something that somebody wants to read and be entertained with. And that's the fine line that I think you're writing amongst all others in the industry. You really tod that line a little bit where you get your information out. But also, you make people question what they really believe in, not only in their own workouts, but their belief systems, too. Well, I mean, the biggest part that you hit on there, I think, is another reason why a lot of my stuff resonated with people, and which is why I think a lot of guys that, that we both know um, that that kind of, you know, made their way up, you know, through the same way, is that their writing is interesting. And there's still, I mean, there's, I can't, I cannot, there are certain guys, I can't get through the first two paragraphs of something like <laughs> Because it's so fucking dry and whether or not it's wrong that I want to be entertained while I read something, uh, I read tons of studies and I read tons of stuff. But if I want to sit down and read something that's written by a guy that, you know, I consider like a peer, like it needs to be somewhat entertaining, uh, you know, keep me interested somehow, you know. Um, and I, there's a lot of guys that, man, they're like, you know, oh, here's a, you know, here's a 5,000 fucking word article on you know, and tibia or tibialis training. I'm like, you know, that's what I'm going to tell him to go suck my dick. So, you know, I'm not going to sit through that. And there's a, and, and it's not only that, but then they present it in a way that's so dry and so full of kinesiology and so full of like movement patterns. This that you're like, man, you know, I, you know, one of my best friends, he talks about the fact he can teach somebody to squat. And I think he, I can't remember if he said nine or 11 steps. And, you know, he taught guys how to squat in prison. And now we have guys putting out like fucking two hour videos on how to do a squat. <laughs> but, but that's a big thing. You know, our society, we want shit here. We want it now and we want it to work instantaneously. And that comes with nutrition. It comes with training, lifestyle, whatever it may be. So we'd be stupid to think that people aren't going to want quick hitting articles that really make them engage not only through the fitness information, but socially as well. Yeah, and I mean, if I don't mind, like I'll read all day, and if, if an article is long, that's fine. But just keep keep me, you know, interested in what you're writing about, and do it in a way that's contextual. Because you know, a lot of this stuff, if it becomes too highly complex to the reader, they're just lost. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd rather read one of those like bullet point articles that. I can walk away from it. I'm like, Hey, here's three or four things I found really interesting, um, from this article that I remember. Whereas if you read 5,000 fucking words in an article, what the fuck are you going to remember from it? But I think they say you only remember what is it like 20% of what you hear, like in a lecture or something. Yeah. 
And so if you read 5,000 words, what the fuck are you going to remember from 5,000 words? Maybe a, maybe a, a, a paragraph. Hell, I had guys tear apart like whole articles I wrote because of one fucking sentence. <laughs> hey, hey, we do that on a weekly basis over on uh, T Nation Facebook page, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, that's why the victory suck for math. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we get that every time we release an article out. You know, they'll read maybe the headline, maybe the title, and maybe the subtitle, I, and that's I, it. You man, I think that I think those guys are literally just performing social experiments on people. <laughs> <laughs> just like let's line up the dumb fucks, let's just line them up because it's like you know we kind of talked about before the podcast started. If somebody reads the title. And then they they don't read the the article, and then they start commenting. It becomes very apparent that they didn't spend any time reading the meat and potatoes of the article. And then people say they say this, they say, "Well, why did they make the title that way?" And this is what I honestly believe. I believe a part of it is to kind of discern who's interested in learning and who's just interesting in, in making a comment to hear their voice heard. Right. You know, and it's so easy to make comments on the computer. Like, let's act like this is real life and you actually have to make a comment to somebody's face. Would you be saying the same stuff? Probably not. No, I can't remember who it was. <laughs> Somebody said this a while back. I said, I can't wait for all those people to beat my ass <laughs> at, the, uh, at the expo that, you know, that I'll talk shit to me online. They're like, oh, wait, that never happens. No, even the haters, man, when you finally meet them in person, it's like, oh, man, bro, I, I read all your stuff. It's great. And you're like, whoa, hold oh, on a second. I, you do? <laughs> yeah, I never use that word. I never use that word haters. You know, it's kind of like, you know, what we were talking about before. I don't use the word haters because, um, well, you know, honestly, to, to be a slightly philosophical about it, I've actually had times where I wrote stuff to people and they got, you know, argumentative or ugly with me. And I explain myself to them, and they're like, and then they came back and apologized later and said, you know, I'm sorry. And then come back and tell me, hey, I actually really like your stuff, and I suggest it to other people. And some people want to argue for the sake of arguing. Now, that will piss me off because I'm like, hey, if you have a valid argument to present against something, give it to me and we'll discuss it because that's the best way that we learn. Right. But if you just want to be a dick, go somewhere else. Like, I don't have time for that money. And you can almost discern those pretty quickly. Within one or two exchanges, you know which way it's going most times. Oh, right out of the gate. You know, I've, I've had coaches tell me before that you have really one shot to try to change somebody's viewpoints, especially in our industry where people are just all about their belief systems. And if you don't do it in that one comment, you might as well just chalk it up to a loss. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a point that I, I try to make pretty often is that there's so many people now that they don't want to be educated. They just want to be right. That's a, that's a great point. And that's why they show up to argue because they show up to argue to just, just be like, like, I just want to prove that I'm right. And if you, if you're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, an opinion based argument, then it's hard for somebody to just be right. If you're talking about something scientific, you know, then people get to present evidence. So, you know, a lot of people do just show up to say, oh, this is my opinion and I'm right. And, you know, kiss my ass. <laughs> and uh, I just, I just uh, used to be years ago before um, when there were just forums and forums were bad enough. Um, people actually would, you know, there's a, depending on what board you belong to, there would be a, a solid amount of information that might get shared through discussions. Um, now, sometimes they would devolve into, you know, everyone to tell each other to go fuck your mother. But a lot of times there was a, a good amount of decent info, you know, shared just just on boards between just, you know, common lifters. Yeah, that's a, that's lost, I think, right now with our social media age, too, because there's really no awesome exchanges out there anymore just because there's always that one dude that jumps in and just riles everybody up. And then it becomes personal as opposed to something that you're trying to actually have an intelligent conversation about. Yeah. And you know what? Yeah, I think it also depends on um, the person's page. Now, look, I, I'm guilty of, uh, I mean, I just trolled the functional patterns guys and everybody still thinks that's like the most hilarious fucking thing ever. <laughs> I don't, did you see that? Which guys? It, oh my God. I don't even want to talk about this because <laughs> people are still posting this shit on my page um, it's the functional patterns guy and they do shit like, 
I had shared some of their videos, which are fucking hilarious. It's like a guy sitting up on top of a goddamn Swiss ball, throwing like a medicine ball at a trampoline. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that one. <laughs> That's what's happening. Like, it sounds absurd to even say it all fucking in a sentence, right? Like, I'm standing stand on top of a Swiss ball, holding a medicine ball, and I'll throw the medicine ball at a trampoline. And what was your comment? It was something about the Amazon River or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I was trying to figure out, like, like in my head, like, okay, to me, okay, functionality or functional strength means that there is a, <laughs> it's just a real life situation that this applies to. Okay. <laughs> so I, I was like, you know, when I'm floating down the Amazon River on a log. And, you know, crocodiles are trying to fucking eat me. This is where I pick up a boulder and, like, smash their heads in. That's, like, that's that's what came to my mind. I don't think it was, <laughs> I can't remember if it was that one. No, 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 the one that I trolled their page on, it would be hard to describe. He, once again, he was standing on a Swiss ball because apparently life, life happens on an unstable surface, yeah. unstable surface all the time, right? So he's standing on a Swiss ball again. And he's literally, people would have to watch the video, but he's got a dumbbell in, in like his one, in one, in like his right hand. And he's doing like a, a, a front raise with it. And then in the other hand, he's holding uh, a pulley. And he's, when he, he's, when he like raises one, like he pulls the other or whatever. <laughs> Something like, if I ever find myself in a situation where I've got to pull like a big horse's dick and then shove something up a giant <laughs> asshole. And this will be handy. <laughs> now, it's safe to say that that exercise isn't part of the Get Traps program, right? <laughs> you know, the weirdest thing about the whole group was they were trying, they're like the worst, they're the worst trolls I've ever seen. I'm used to being associated with some master trolls, right? Um, they were the worst trolling group I ever saw. They literally trolled me by posting a bunch of pictures of me up where I looked really fucking awesome. And I, I'm just saying that as a joke. But I was like, damn, thanks for, for posting all those up. I look good. And, uh, but they would post up pictures of themselves like, and talk about their posture. And I couldn't figure out if that was master trolling or if they were fucking serious. Because <laughs> they were like, look at this posture, bitch. <laughs> I'm <laughs> trying to break it down on you. I actually couldn't. I didn't know how to like to respond because I didn't understand like if this this was like – Grandmaster wizard level of trolling by demanding that I be impressed by their posture, um, or if they were that fucking stupid. So it was like one extreme to the other. I I, I didn't know what was going on. That honestly left me pretty stumped. Um, so, <laughs> it just went right over your head. You're like, man, this is next level well, shit right what here. What happened was the guy, and I, uh, it's like his name's like Naughty or Naughty or whatever. Um, he ended up like calling me out and like this, this status, it was like all caps. So he was obviously very angry at me. and it was like all fucking caps and he called me out and I was like, <laughs> and Alan Aragon ended up screenshotting this shit and put it and up, putting it up. And it, he was like, like, why are you typing in all, all caps? And he was like, because that's how like, you know, you get people's attention, whatever. And he's like. He goes something like it. Obviously, all those steroids have ruined your eight brain. And I, my response was, "Your mom ruined my eight brain last night." <laughs> and he goes, uh, he said something about <laughs> something about there you go with the mom thing. And I said, "Your mom did the mom thing last night." <laughs> I continued this on for a while, and they just he got so pissed off about it. I was literally sitting at home laughing. And he was just typing everything in all caps. And then he just went on like this rant and he just kept typing over and over again, steroids, 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 like in all caps. <laughs> I could see this going down in the Paul Carter household in Kansas City. You just sitting there like laughing at your computer, your daughter's being like, what? <laughs> What's going on there? <laughs> I, I was really like in, in tears. Like, um, and you know, the funniest thing is when people are trying to needle you like that. The other thing is you end up learning is, um, an angry mind is a narrow mind, and when you when you get mad like that, like a, like a guy on that, and it gets mad, it's so easy to um, manipulate his his emotions. And you know, be, but if you're just laughing and it's all you know, you, you're just having a good time with it, then uh, you know it's pretty easy to see through the facade. So 
Um, but now everybody, they, they post that shit because it went on for a couple of days. And I'm like, and I want to tell everybody, all right, guys, fuck, the, you know, the horse is dead. Stop eating it. I got it. And I hate you <laughs> talking about that on here, but it was pretty funny. Man, this is a perfect segue here, talking about trolling, because I want to know, are you going to be watching the CrossFit games tonight on ESPN? You know, I'm not, but that's not because I have, like, this, like, crazy, I, like, I don't hate CrossFit at all, and I I, I admire the, the, the ones that actually get to that level, but I actually just don't watch any TV pretty much at all, period. Gotcha, gotcha. So you'd actually have to go to the events to watch them, huh? Well, I, Christian's there, uh, you know, Thibodeau. Oh, yeah, CT, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he and I are working on a book together. There's a plug, but it's unintentional. Um, Shameless plug, Paul Carter. It's not a sh- I fucking just came out that way. <laughs> um, but uh, that's actually a, a good story. Oh, well, to get back to your question, no, I won't be watching the CrossFit games. Um, you're pro- they're probably, you probably won't get much out of me in that way because I've actually – the one thing I've said about CrossFit is, look, anything that, that takes that many chicks and give them a great ass, I'm just not going to complain about too much. No, you can't complain about that. I mean, they're building backsides left and right. And, you know, CrossFit is something that we've taken on in the last six months or so, uh, especially with some of these articles coming out on T Nation. And we were throwing a huge positive spin on everything because I, I love CrossFitters. We treat a bunch of them in office. We train a few. And there's definitely some of those hybrid coaches like CT out there that are doing amazing things that aren't necessarily under that CrossFit umbrella. They're just good coaches. And I yeah, think we're going to be seeing more and more of that. I absolutely, completely agree with you because there are more guys like, like Christian that are getting involved in coaching CrossFit athletes and kind of steering them away from some of the stuff that people have complained about in the past. Right. And I think that, like, in the one thing, and I've written this before, is that regardless of how long CrossFit has been around, its popularity is still relatively new. And with anything new like that, it's going to go through an evolution, okay? Like when UFC, if you you know you look at MMA fighting, started out as tournament style fighting with no weight classes and no rules essentially, you know, except for you couldn't fucking you couldn't bite, like, <laughs> you couldn't bite or eye gouge, but you could even like you could punch a guy in the nuts like over and over and over again, like for real. But any anything that's popular is going to go through an evolution of you know, kind of, you know, massaging itself to, you know, fit what the the majority of the people really want it to look like. And I I think that CrossFit is doing that. But, um, you know, people, I think, often just want to have something to bitch about. Right. But there are so many girls in CrossFit with great asses, I'm just never going to complain about Man, it's impressive to watch that stuff, too. You know, any professional athlete, to see them train is impressive. You know, if you've trained them before, you know that. But to actually see it on the mainstream on TV, people just don't truly understand what's going on behind the scenes of these CrossFit athletes, what's happening in Thibodeau's gym, and what's happening you know, up until the games. They just see it as like, oh, this guy's a freak of nature. He can do all this stuff. It's like, no, people actually have to work hard. It's a calculated progression in training programs, nutrition, recovery. And yeah. I think that's just something that the lay person doesn't get an appreciation for when they're watching ESPN on a Friday night. Well, yeah, Rich Froning has a, was it like a million dollar deal with, I can't remember if it's Reebok or Nike or whatever. There's no power lifter on the planet that's ever going to have a fucking million dollar deal. Okay. And I think, I think some of it does stem from jealousy and that's just my own personal feeling. A lot of these guys, man, they couldn't go out and do one single event without throwing up and passing out and dying. Now, I'm not, I'm, that's not excusing something like when we used to have, what was it called? Rhabdo? Rhabdomyosis. Yeah. Yeah. And... I don't know. I mean, there's obviously been a few cases of it, but it's not something that's fucking happening in every CrossFit generation. I mean, Jesus Christ, there's not people that's happening to. Like, it's just been a thing that it has happened. And I think, as I said, with the evolution of most things that have anything to do with quote-unquote sport, um, you have to go through that evolution of kind of finding, okay, where's the equilibrium between, you know, what's, you know, acceptable by the mainstream public or whatever – I do think it's funny. Chris, uh, Tips had, and my brain's kind of all over the place sometimes when I talk. Tips had a great article she you were talking about. And people were bitching about, uh, they bitched about CrossFitters not being very strong. And in some some ways, I'll agree with that. And Tips had a great article this past week about that. 
and was essentially saying you're not strong enough. And one of the big reasons they're not strong enough is because all of their training is mostly concentric based, right? Right. They don't do much eccentric based training. And the truth is you have so much more of a, of a growth and strength potential based on eccentric based training than you do concentric based training. That, that's a great point, too. Uh, Christian knocked that article out of the park. And I'm a little bit pissed at him, though, because my website, drjohnrussin.com, we released a concentric, eccentric, isometric article literally at the same time, same day. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. You threw one out there. I'll throw one out there. It's all the good. <laughs> I caught that. I only sent shameless plug. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you know, that's I mean, that's something that. That's what I mean is like there, there's there got to be an evolution in CrossFit training where, you know, hey, guys, do you pay attention more to stuff? Like, hey, I have to have I have to have more movements in my training that involve, you know, the eccentric portion, you know, of the rep. And like even think about like, you know, like kipping pull-ups. Like they just – they just there's no mus- – what I would consider like muscular control. It's a, it's a um, uh, momentum-based movement, right? Right. And, you know, ask a guy to, you know, a lot of those guys, they're really light, you know, they can knock out, you know, um, a lot of chin ups or a lot of stuff like that. But because one of the reasons I think that you see um, complain about about crossfitters not being strong enough is because of what tips, you know, and you I'll give you some credit. <laughs> Thank you. Um, is that, that you guys talked about is there's a lack of eccentric based training in a lot of those guys training programs. But the funny part that I think it is, is that all of the, most of the, or I don't, I don't know. I like to, I try not to use absolutes in my writing or speaking. That's right. been something I've worked very hard on the last year because absolutes are rarely <laughs> correct. Um, and I, I believe most of the top CrossFitters don't even train in like a CrossFit style. Um, a lot of them uh, train, you know, basically just like strength-based movements, body weight movements, and it's very different than what you're going to get if you go to like a CrossFit gym and do like wads. And that's the biggest secret, I think. Um, you know, CrossFit headquarters doesn't really talk a whole lot about that, but the big stars, the guys that you'll see this weekend on ESPN, a lot of them aren't training traditional wad style. And people say, well, there is no such thing as a traditional wad-based program, but you know what I'm talking about. They're in there and they're doing strength and conditioning work. They're really working their metabolic systems differently. And then they're going and performing at the highest level in their competition, which is ultimately the wad. And that's one best kept secret that I think is going to be coming out here in the next year or so. Yeah. And I, I think what, what, um, what gets lost in this, what gets lost by some of the CrossFitters? We can't talk about fucking CrossFit all day, goddamn it. No, but, yeah, we're done after this. <laughs> yeah, here, here this, I'm going to end on this. What gets lost in a lot of people that do CrossFit are a few things: is that they place too much emphasis on skill and not enough emphasis on the strength portion. And Absolutely. So, so when they do like a wad, they're like, I got to get really good at like doing these potential things, but then there's no, they didn't build that foundation or that base level of strength. Um, I have a story about that in a kind of way that it was a friend of mine that had been doing a lot of farmer's walks and I'd never done farmer's walks. This was years ago and I'd never done farmer's walks, but I was a lot stronger than him. So he like challenged me to come out and do farmer's walks in his parking lot. So he did like four walks back and forth and I did it for like 10 fucking minutes. <laughs> I had never, I never done, it was with, it was with, uh, um, sandbags right like you know we you remember guys when they used to do fucking dinosaur training and stuff and <laughs> right. you know what i'm fucking talking about so like you stuff sandbags into like a duffel bag right and they kind of flop all over the place and shit and he's like you know he thought he's just gonna like wipe because he's been doing them every week i never done them before i just picked it up and walked up and down the parking lot for like 10 minutes he only did like four trips i'm like well that's because uh, a high level of base a base a higher base level of strength can overcome a lack of skill People would argue that a high-level base strength can overmask anything else, and definitely in the athletic realm too. You know, there's people that will go out there and say that strength is the only thing that matters in a strength and conditioning program. And you know, I can see some truth to that. Obviously, we train a little bit differently than that. You know, me and you, and also with our programs. But I can see where they're coming from. Um, 
I guess the best example of that would be where I saw Brian Shaw do like, what was it? Did you see that video where Brian Shaw did? I don't remember what it was, but it's like a, like you clean and press like a certain amount, like for so many minutes or something. Just yeah, yeah, I saw that. He fucking destroyed everybody, but his technique was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's strong. That's my point. Speaking it's, of strong people, I know you've trained with uh, a couple of cool people for about a week or so. So I want to dive into what you saw with your training with Dmitry Kolkov. Um, Dmitry and I, uh, wow. <laughs> Loaded uh, question. Yeah, uh, we spent a lot of, like, probably about a week together in uh, last year. And I wrote about it a little bit. But there's a lot of funny stories that came out of it. Um, and, you know, I don't even know if Dimitri would hear, hear all this, but, uh, uh, like, we got along at times and didn't get along at times. If somebody might say, well, that's because I'm a dick, but I'm not the only person. <laughs> I'm not the only person I've heard that from. Um, as you would expect, because everybody's like, oh, they, they, they took the – first off, number one, I want to start with the positive. Dimitri is one of the most awesome teachers I've ever been around. Um, his enthusiasm and the way he teaches with people is infectious. I mean, it's just to go watch, just to watch him teach was amazing. The guy absolutely pours his, everything he's got into teaching. It's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It really is amazing. You would think the guy that he, the, the guys that, and girls that he works with in these workshops, that they're going to the fucking Olympics. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. Like, because that's how, like, he's so hands-on and so passionate about it. It's really just, it's very, actually very motivating to watch, like, how much he gives to these people. And they're just like... They're just regular people, right, from the gym. Yeah, the but, best coaches, though, no off switch. Oh, and he's fucking amazing in that way. Absolutely. Like, by the time that he'd be done teaching for an hour, he'd be completely drenched in sweat and have to change shirt. <laughs> I mean, and he's amazing to watch. Um, Dimitri, um, uh, when we were hanging out, actually, Charles uh, Poliquin, because Charles was the other guy I was hanging out with when I was there. Charles told the story um, – we were at, uh, I have a few stories to tell about him that are fucking hilarious. <laughs> and um, we were at lunch, and uh, Dimitri, you know, his English still at that time, I'm sure it's improved since then, it was, it was good, but it wasn't great. And he would still have trouble pronouncing some words. And the, the waitress asked what he wanted to drink, and he goes, cop. <laughs> and then she's like, what, what? And one of the guys we were with, like, he's not saying cock, he's not, he doesn't want cock to drink. And, um, so he, he kept saying it because he's like, go. And so Charles tells the, the waitress and, you know, and, uh, you know, French Canadian, like he wants, you know, he wants a Coca-Cola. She turns to me and she says, what do you want to drink? I said, I want a diet cock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you were with, was this out in Australia? This was uh, last year in Montreal. Actually. Oh, in Montreal. I Okay. There's actually a better story that I didn't even write about, but I've told like a few people in person. So Dimitri doesn't have like a great sense of humor. Um, he's pretty dry. And uh, we were coming back from the gym one day and um, he, uh, I said, I was fucking with him because I just, I fuck with everybody. I don't care who you are. Um, that's one of the reasons why uh, Ed Cohen and I get along so well, because we fuck with each other constantly in person. And, uh, I said, hey, Dimitri, <laughs> and uh, I, he's like, what? And I was like, um, what's red and bad for your teeth? And he just looked at me for a while. And I go, you're supposed to say what? And he goes, why? And I go, because that's just how the fucking joke works. <laughs> and, and I go, I just, I repeated myself. I said, what's, what's red and bad for your teeth? And he just looked at me and I was like, fucking, you're supposed to say what? And he's like, I do not understand your American jokes. And so finally, the girl in front, she, her name was Lauren. She goes, Dimitri, just say what when he asks you, okay? And so I said, what's red about for your teeth? And he goes, what? And I go, a brick. And uh, he just looked at me, and he's like, I don't get it. And uh, so I was like, fine. And I finally go, I said, hey, so what do they, what do they call a beautiful woman in Russia? And he goes, what? I said, a tourist. <laughs> <laughs> he, did, he did not like that joke. Yeah, he, he took that one personal, huh? Yeah, he liked uh, really dark jokes. Uh, I told one, like, he didn't laugh at any of them. At any of, like, the regular jokes I told him, I finally told him, I said, okay, fine. You like dark jokes? I said, there's a, 
an old man with a knife dragging a little boy into the woods as it gets dark. And the little boy screams, please, Mr. Don't, I'm so afraid. The old man says, you're afraid. I got to walk back alone. And he, like, busted out. He's like, I like those. <laughs> oh, man. So I, was it just comedy club up here in Montreal, or were you guys actually I, training, too? Wait, wait. Here's the funny, the real funny part of that story, okay? The next day when we were at lunch, he was in a better mood at lunch that, on this particular day. And he looks at me at lunch, and he goes, whoa. He goes, whoa. He goes, I was thinking about your joke last night. Red, bath for teeth, brick. I get it. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> everybody at the table busted out laughing because I we all thought, you know, the same thing. Like there's Dimitri like laying awake in his bed all night trying to figure out why the fuck uh what's red and bad for your teeth and how is a brick bad for Yeah, he's supposed to be working on his presentation, thinking about his, his yeah, training for the next day, he's thinking about your joke with the red brick. Yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah, no, we I mean we had a good time. Um he's absolute probably the freakiest strength athlete I've been around. And I've, you know, been around a lot of guys. I mean, that, and that's even including Brian Shaw. But Brian's like six foot ten, literally like 440 pounds, right? But Dimitri, like, flew in, jet lagged, uh, got up, you know, didn't eat breakfast, like, drank a, a, drank a Coca-Cola, or as he calls it, cock, and, um, like, slept all the way to the gym, he gets there, does a couple of warm-up sets, and does uh, a clean impress with 440 pounds. <laughs> so he's um, he probably is, I mean the, the the freakiest, like explosive and strong strength athlete that I've ever been around. And what do you think that's due to? Was his technique just that awesome, or was it God-given genetics that oh, <laughs> makes yeah. it that way? You know what? There's uh, the first thing you notice about him, which you met him in person, was that he is a fucking caveman. Like, I'm gonna ruin this for all the ladies that end up listening to this podcast with you, like one, because you have like you probably have like no female following, right? Hey, hey, we're at about forty-two percent. Really? Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. All the ladies out there <laughs> get all worked up over Dimitri. I'm about to, I'm about to ruin your life. Okay, Dimitri in person is not attractive. Now, here's, here's the interesting part about this story, too. I was told um, by Brian Carroll at the Olympia. We were at the Olympia, and I, I met him at Caesars, and Brian tells me, he's like, did you see Kokoff? And I'm like, no. He's like, have you ever met him in person? I'm like, no. Because I had at the time. He's like, he's really ugly in person. <laughs> and I go, what? And his wife, you know, Rita, she's really nice. She goes, yeah, he's like really ugly in person. I'm like, I'm like, okay, you guys fucking with me? You know, because everybody, you know, all the, the women think Dimitri's, like, so hot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, hey, I know, right? So and some I, of the men. Okay, so the the first morning at breakfast, I'm sitting there, and I'm telling um, the people who were there with uh, Dave and his, and his girlfriend, Lauren, I'm sitting there telling them this, and she's, like, absolutely refuses to believe this is true. She's like, that can't be true. It's like, just can't. And I go, I'm just telling you what I heard. So he comes down for breakfast. When he comes down for breakfast, none of us had met him at that point. First time for everybody. Comes down, and I look over at her, and she almost looked like she had tears in her eyes. And she looked at me and, like, nodded, like, oh, my God, you're right. It's like and figuring out Superman's not real when you're a little kid. You're like, no. Like, super photogenic, right? Like, super photogenic. Like, in his pictures, she thinks, like, you know, he looks like a model. In person, his head is the size of, like, a large pumpkin. <laughs> It is so fucking big. And he's got like a, a caveman forehead. And um, he's got just really, really like like harsh features. Um, but you were asking about his strength. I was, I'm talking about whether or not he's good looking or not. You were asking why. <laughs> this is actually what I was getting to. I had a point behind all this, believe it or not. His bone structure is so big. Like his wrist and elbows and fingers are absolutely gigantic. Like, I know Eddie, Eddie thinks he's got, like, the biggest hands in the world. I think Dimitri's hands are probably quite a bit larger than Eddie's. I mean, they are absolutely fucking enormous. And, and stuff like that, that, that is genetic, man. <laughs> I mean, you absolutely can train. You cannot train for a larger noggin. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. And some people say, well, you could take GH for a larger noggin, but I think there's obviously a limiting factor on how big the but, <laughs> but his fingers are, like, you know, like two of your fingers put together, right? 
And these are things that don't jump out at you when you like look at a picture of him, right? But when you see him in person, because I think when we were there, he told me he was um, about 238 pounds. Um, and he's probably about 6'1 or 6'2. And if you were just to say a guy is 6'2 and 238 pounds, like that doesn't that's sound like a linebacker right there. Yeah, that's like a linebacker. That's about how he's built if you were just to think about those dimensions, right? But he also, like his his bone structure is so thick and heavy, he just looks very different. Uh, the other thing, and he's the most bow-legged dude I've ever been around in my life. Like his legs, like bow out, like absolutely like bow comes like all the way out. And that may make him even more it, powerful in his sport. Who knows? Has, One of those has, factors that is just right for the right sport. Uh-huh. We see that a lot. I mean, I was I was in China over the new year and I saw some of these Chinese Olympic weightlifters and they're really good, you know. They're bringing the home medals every single Olympics. And right. some of them just had that anthropometric that was going to be perfect for weightlifting, period. And so stuff like that, you know, you can't control. All the other controllable factors are amazing though, especially out of Klokov. Well, yeah, I mean, I think what happens is when you start looking at people at that level like that, what I consider like that less than 1% level, it's that they have all of the things that you can train for, and then they do everything else as hard and as perfect as they can. Right, right. You know, no, talking about your adventures here, I know you were on an Australian adventures. I kind of jumped the gun a couple minutes ago, and you were out in Australia, right, with John Meadows, our friend? Yeah, I was out there with John for a week. Um, uh, I think more like a week, week and a half, or maybe I was just with I was just with John a week, and then with Eddie for like a week and a half. How was that? What, what were you up to out there? Uh, John and I were doing a joint seminar, and then Eddie and I were too. John uh, was you know going over bodybuilding stuff, nutrition, and I would go over like powerlifting style stuff, and then technique with movements and stuff. And then Eddie and I did like a more pure powerlifting uh, seminar, uh, one in Perth and then one in Sydney. Man, man, that's an opportunity for the Australians to get all three of you guys in one place. And especially, you know, those back-to-back presentations like I think you did with John, where you were really breaking down two of the biggest sports in the world, getting some of the best minds talking about the same thing on the same day. Usually you don't get that kind of stuff when you go to a presentation. Yeah, and um, I think that was one thing that was unique about it was because, you know, John and I were um, able to, you know, kind of mesh those things together. Uh, and John and I also, I mean, obviously, he's one of my best friends, and, you know, we, we talk, um, you know, all the time, exchange information and stuff like that um, about all this stuff. So, you know, and then the best part of it for me is that, um, when I go get to be around those guys, I still learn so much from them. Oh yeah. And that's, I think when, and you mentioned this earlier and I didn't capitalize on it, but I can't now is that it, I think when you reach that, that period of that, that, that time in your, your life where you just really don't feel like you know anything more, you, you like, I don't really know very much is when you actually probably have a, a lot of knowledge to offer. Oh Yeah. You know, they always say you go through, you know, your new knowledge phase where you're just learning as much as you can. And then you get to that phase where, all right, man, I think I know my shit right now. Right. And then it goes 180 on you and you're back to the beginning because you realize, man, there's so much more out there. I don't even know where to start to begin. Yeah, and that's the thing. And I think that's why a lot of online, uh, excuse me, online arguments happen is because there's the guys that are noobs will just come out and say, Hey, I'm a noob, but it's the intermediate guys that have been training like four or five years that have, have read, you know, a couple of articles by some guys that have like PhD after their name. And they think that that's the holy fucking grail. Yeah. Those, and they'll latch on. They have like a couple of bits of information and then they spend the rest of the day arguing with you. You would appreciate it. This discussion I ended up having with the sky and this will be an interesting training topic that we can talk about. So, my stance, and you know who Jonathan Mike is, right? Yep. Okay, so Jonathan and I talked about the whole, like, I don't believe 
And a lot of people, instead of actually opening up their mind and, being, having, and applying some critical thinking about this, I don't believe that deadlift is a, is a great mass-building movement. I think it, it can, you obviously can build mass with it, but I, I don't think that it's a great mass-building movement because, and, and I talked about this in, in the article, there's, there's a lack of eccentric in the competition-style performed deadlift. And in my opinion, from a posterior chain perspective, the like a, a stiff leg deadlift or a deficit stiff leg deadlift offer offers more potential for hypertrophy than just a conventional deadlift. And Jonathan Mike chimed in on it and said, "No, you're you're right on." And list the reasons that he agreed. But we had a guy that ended up disagreeing, and he's like, "And which is okay." It's hard to disagree when you got a PhD saying, yeah, this is the way it is, and then you have somebody battle-tested like yourself saying, yeah, this is the way it is. Jumping <laughs> in on that and trying to argue both of those, man, that's tough. <laughs> and and, and uh, it was on Alexander's page, and he was, he was laughing about that. He's like, you got two fucking guys telling you you're arguing. And the guy that was arguing tried to say, well, you guys are arguing about something as simple as like a little bit of shin angle difference. And, dude, I almost fell out of my fucking chair. I'm like, some people do not flat out grasp that changing the angle of a joint or bone or whatever absolutely sh can completely shift, you know, whatever muscle group is going to be completely targeted by a movement. But the, the one I tried to explain to this guy is, okay, if you have, if you, you don't, and he even understood this, but still didn't get it, if that makes any sense, maybe we'll have to explain it. I said, you can't get full glute contraction if you don't have external hip rotation. I said, how how much how much foot pronation do you have to have to do that? You know, what maybe an inch, you know, a little maybe a little more than an inch. So to go from not being able to get full glute contraction to getting full glute contraction only requires about an inch of pronation, maybe an inch and a half of pronation in your feet, rather than them going from a neutral position, right? Right. He was literally arguing that 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 it, to him it didn't make a difference that the deadlift was just as good because all you were talking about was a little bit of difference in shin angle. And I was like, okay, but the hips are in a completely different position in the two movements. So if something as simple as pronating your feet out goes from not having full glute contraction to having full glute contraction, what is moving your entire fucking pelvis up like four inches going to do? <laughs> Sometimes people don't realize just the complexity of eccentric movements and definitely movements that have an, an intention in their execution. So the same movement can look a lot different if you put two intentions differently on it. So just like you're saying, you know, tiny intricacies make a huge difference. Well, here, yeah, I want to come back to that because here's the part that he, he said. He said that the, the increase in weight that could be used and a deadlift overcame the other, quote, you know, more efficient parts of, of using a deficit or a stiff leg deadlift. You know, when I say I use, I actually use a deficit stiff leg deadlift, but he said it overcame the difference. Like, for example, saying using a back squat because you use more weight overcomes the deficiency as a quad developer than the front squat. That's just like the most ridiculous shit I've ever heard. <laughs> Okay, more weight doesn't mean you're targeting a specific muscle group more effectively. Absolutely. And, like, you know, it could, maybe, but it's not an absolute like you were talking about. Well, here's what I'd ask somebody. It's like, okay, if you, if, you, if you had two guys, all things being equal, and you made one guy front squat to death for 10 weeks and the other guy do low bar squats for 10 weeks and they were both completely equal – do you feel like that their lower body would look the same or maybe a little different after 10 weeks? Oh, 100%. 100%. Despite the fact that the guy that front squatted would be using significantly less weight than the back squatter. Yeah, these are the kind of theoretical arguments that just drive me crazy. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, they do me too because when, I, when I, I've been at this long enough, some of these things, like I'm just like, yeah, I understand why that works that way. And then people pick apart every little detail. I'm like, look, you know, this is not just for me, like pulling, you know, pulling shit out of my ass, which I do often. But in this particular example, I was not just pulling shit out of my ass. It's because 
I've done this with tons of clients. I've done it with myself. I don't mean pulling shit out of their ass or pulling shit out of my ass either. <laughs> I'm talking about actually finding out why certain uh, movements, you know, with certain people based on their own leverages and how they actually move way through space affect them. Something John and I did when we were in Australia, and this was a point I was trying to make to him, but he, he wouldn't listen to anything. <laughs> if you use the bottom quarter range of motion in the leg extension, are you isolating something in the, the knee extensors? Can you tell me which muscle? And it's not a trick question, really. But John and I figured it out literally from training. Yeah, you should be able to get that rectus. The rectus for more. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're awesome. That's, that's okay. anatomy 101, man. It crosses two joints. Exactly. So the fact is, if you only use the bottom quarter range of a, of a leg extension, it's pretty much all rectus femoris, right? Like Absolutely. The, I'm not telling you that the BMO doesn't fire at all or the vascular lateralis doesn't fire. They do, They you know, they have to fire a little bit. They're just not dead. But the rectus femoris fucking goes crazy, right? Yeah. For you at home, go try that and you'll know what we're talking about. Yeah, it's, the re- it's just the rectus femoris. And John and I did like set after set after set to like fucking failure – and then we'd always finish with tons and tons and tons of like the, the first quarter range of the leg extension. The next day when we were walking downhill, like Ooh. our legs were just dying. <laughs> but only, here's the interesting, only when we walked downhill. <laughs> <laughs> so you remember that it used to be for a while, decades ago, that bodybuilders would talk about how they used to, they would, you know, say stuff like shape muscles. And I don't even – there's some debate coming back now whether or not you can reshape muscle. Have you seen this? Have you been keeping up to snuff with this? Uh, it's so new right now that I don't buy into it quite yet. I, I can see – you know, th- this is another one of those one percenter arguments. Can the one percenters do this stuff? Probably, you know, they can come out. But for the average person that's thinking that they're going through training euphoria and everything's perfect in their training and they're going to be a one percenter one day, you know, probably not. But, yeah, I know what you're saying. So – well, what I was getting to with that was I think where bodybuilders just kind of had a misnomer in there and that, and that was you're not really shaping, but you use definitely the way that you're, you're, you have your joints and the way that your, your body moves weight through space is going to determine what muscle groups play a larger role in the movement than others. I mean, at the, on the surface, that sounds like, you know, day one shit, right? <laughs> I mean, it does, but if you... Like I said, if you just work the first quarter range motion of a leg extension, it's all rectus femoris. If you, what happens if you work just the top and only lower the weight halfway down and then keep it there? Then where are you at? Are, are you are you hitting the rectus femoris as hard as if you work the first quarter range? No. Then it becomes more of a vastus medialis exercise. Man, I had the, I had this debate. So this is years ago. I think I was a, still a student, a PT student. And I was in clinic and, you know, I was in pretty good shape. So all the, the instructors would always be like, oh, let's test this guy out, you know, always getting them out from the crowd. So they bring me up on the table and they're trying to do like a manual leg extension on me. So like they're pushing up against my shin. I just kick it out real easy, nice and neutral. They're like, boom, cool. And then this guy moved my leg in a certain way. So he like externally rotated it and then moved my hip out and all this stuff and I couldn't budget an inch with like one finger of pressure on it and I always remember that day being like hey we need to take into account all the little intricacies of these motions because they definitely isolate out some stuff especially if you're an aesthetics athlete targeting is super important super important that was kind of the it would have been better if you had joined in on that argument to make that point for that <laughs> Load. loading on the bar is going to your body is naturally and you know this naturally going to shift when the weight gets very heavy um to using it you're you can you're going to cross over from a point to where you kind of have that mind muscle connection and if you get too heavy it, it then it becomes about moving weight through space and whatever is your strongest lever at that point is going to do the most work yeah you're going to default to the strongest areas absolutely absolutely right John and I, that was something else we went over when we were in Australia. He has that uh, T-bar row that it's kind of a, like a stiff leg deadlift with a T-bar row apparatus. Yep, yep. He uses to hit lower lats. And John and I both made points. Like if, once you add one plate too many, you go from feeling your lower lats kick in to not feeling them at all. 
Oh, <laughs> yeah, same thing. You know, John uses those rack pulls. Same exact thing. Right, and and this is a concept that gets lost. There's a that's why there's a huge difference between training, in my opinion, training for hypertrophy and then training for strength. Because strength has a, a larger neurological basis involved with it that a lot of people don't really think about. Now, you do have to get bigger, in my opinion, in order to increase your strength ceiling or your strength potential. Um, no one ever got smaller muscles and lifted more weight. Or, here, let me go back and correct myself. So I said I don't like to use absolutes. I can't imagine anyone that got smaller muscles and lifted more weights. Now, I'm not talking about body weight on the scale. At the end of the day, your muscles are still what moves the weight. However, there's a massive difference between making a specific area of work in a movement and then just moving way through space. And one thing I've tried to do this particular off-season with myself is is actually not training as heavy. And every year that goes by, I train lighter. And, and I'm not training light, but I'm training lighter. Right. And my training becomes a little, actually a lot more focused. And I'm trying to do a much better job um, of making sure – when I do certain movements that it's not about moving weight through space, but it really is about making certain muscles work in the execution of that exercise. You got to be a mature lifter to tap into that. I think though, you know, set your ego aside. It's one of the hardest things to do, even for some of the smartest people. It's like, all right, man, this is all about your internal tension here and not your external force. And it's like that switch that if you can actually man up and do it, like it's amazing what you can get through, especially in terms of hypertrophy. But a lot of people just will not kick it in. They're like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm going to throw another plate on and get one more set in. And they just can't deal with the fact that they might be moving less external load. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Um, lots of guys that I've worked with, uh, I use both when I train people because I do believe that you can't get away. There's, there's factors that you, can't get away from i do believe at the at the end of the day you can't get away from something as simple as progressive overload right Right. like that still has to be a factor in your training but at the same time if you like i work with professional bodybuilders too and a professional bodybuilder needs to improve a body part then he's got to learn how to fire that body part and make it be active during certain movements otherwise it's not going to develop if a bodybuilder has a weak body part then more than likely there's two factors going on here it's number one that the, the body part um, hasn't been asked to do a lot of work. So there's two things. He doesn't have a great mind-muscle connection with that body part and that, that body part's weak. Because I've, I've never seen a guy that had, say, like really super developed any body part that that, that body part was weak in either. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things, though, uh, you know, the powerlifting crowd will get on the bodybuilding crowd and be like, Ah, yeah, they just look strong. <laughs> it's like, Dude, yeah, I, these guys are pretty strong too, but they're strong in a different way. I can't remember the guy's name. John was telling me about when we were in Australia. He did the 170-pound dumbbells on dumbbell bench for like, it was like 30-plus reps. One of John's guys? Yeah. Was it Foab? No, it wasn't Foab. It was, it, was it, was it Ken Jackson? It was one of those guys. I know because, uh, you know, we were on that same day at Mountain Dog uh, on those articles that he released. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, though. And I think he did an incline for like 455 for like 10 or 12 or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know how many powerlifters can, can incline 455 for, for 10 reps there would only be a couple? Right, right. I think what gets lost in it, and I try to bridge that gap a lot, is bodybuilders and powerlifters can help each other so much. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it uh, the last couple of years. Uh, there's those hybrid athletes that are going back and forth and doing well in both. Oh, absolutely. Bodybuilders that can learn why going through strength phases, it, it can set them up for a more productive hypertrophy phase. And powerlifters need to learn that they need to spend a part of their offseason and hypertrophy phases growing and that, that more muscle growth will transfer into more productive strength phase. That's what really brought me to be hugely interested in John's methods on Mountain Dog Diet is years ago, you know, I saw him in there with Dave Tate and I was like, man, you know, this is a bodybuilder kind of putting in some powerlifting-esque movements and strategies and really getting the best of both worlds out of it. And I was, I was impressed that John went in there and started to do that. 
And I think his programming really just kind of bridges that gap that you're talking about. But obviously there's different specialties and you're going to specialize out into your sport. But for the average person training, you know, you should be taken from both of those specialties if you want to just be big, healthy, lean, and strong. Now, what's your website and uh, Facebook and Twitter and all your handles? If you just Google lift, run, bang, you'll find me. Perfect, Paul. Thank you for being on today. This was an awesome conversation. Everyone's going to love this thing. Talk to you. Thanks, John. What an episode from Paul Carter. And that's what we do here at the Strength Doc Podcast. We tell you the stories, the behind the scenes look at what actually goes on in this industry. And this episode was perfect show exactly what we're about here. Be expecting more from that on the Strength Doc Podcast hosted by UpDoc Media.